Triggered by the disappearance of a brilliant young professor, this mystery takes the Hardy Boys first to Kenworthy College, where they find a puzzling message on an examination paper. But then their pal Chet Morton, with his new metal detector and buddy Biff Hooper, turn up a clue that sends the young detectives on an exciting search in another direction, to the honeycomb caves on the seacoast. A hot-tempered hermit who considers the caves his private domain complicates the seacoast mystery and challenges every sleuthing skill Frank and Joe possess. The case their famous father detective is working on, suspected sabotage at the new radar station near the Hardy's hometown of Bayport, further complicates the mystery, which grows more baffling with every chapter. After many dangerous encounters, including a nearly disastrous patrol on the stormy ocean, Frank and Joe discover a powerful searchlight in one of the craggy caverns along the seacoast. In the brilliant white glare of the searchlight, the startling secret of the caves is dramatically revealed. Like, what do boys like? Uh, food and uh, frightening things. So <laughs> oh, okay. we'll describe all those in detail and who cares about what people What little boys did they talk to? <laughs> this is the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. I'm Charles Webster. Each week, I sit down with creative and hilarious people talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then, I have one of my favorite bartenders mix us up a custom cocktail to sip while we read. Today's cocktail is provided by my favorite bartender in the entire world, my sister, Faye Webster. She's mixed us up a boozy cocktail that's a perfect exit to the summer with a tiny hint of fall to lead us into the next season. It will take your breath away like a vivacious look from Iola Morton. Go antiquing, apply for a waitressing job, and fend off agents of a country that is never named in The Secret of the Caves. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I am here with Taylor Trask. Taylor is a entrepreneur and podcast host. Taylor, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Charles, for having me. Very excited to be here. So, Taylor, you let me use your studio to That's record right. this show, and That's it's right. a fabulous place to record. Thank you so much. Well, it's we do our best here. We we do a lot of other shows here, so this is this is the first time I've sat in the guest chair, so I'm kind of excited just for that reason. You have an entire network of shows. Would you talk a little bit about that? I want to plug some of your other great shows. Yeah, so uh, we have a little thing called Their Network, and it houses the Todd and Taylor show, which was the very first one we ever started. Wednesday in Westeros, which is our Game of Thrones recap. Um, Fan Theories, which is a show that we're not on, but we produce, uh, that's uh, hosted by Emily Kelly and her now uh, fiancé. And a couple other different shows that have come and gone over over time. Um, we're actually hoping to get you on on sooner than later, so that would be that would be great, and I would love to join you. Yeah. Uh, I really like the Todd and Taylor show. That's another Thank one. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so everybody, check those out. Yeah, find us there.org or there.network. Yes, .network is a domain extension. But both of those will find uh, all our stuff, all our podcasts. You can find us on uh, you know, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Anywhere you can find this show, you can find our shows. So Excellent. So I'm going to give a little bit of background on the Hardy Boys books. The Hardy Boys books were written by Franklin W. Dixon, better known as the inventor of synthetic straw hats. The books were originally written in the 1920s. They were rewritten in the 1950s quite heavily to make them uh, more PC, less racially insensitive, to reference Chet's weight more often. Um, Yeah, but this one isn't as bad as the last one. The last one, he's tortured. At least in this one, he meets a cute girl. Yeah, Um, Yeah. Spoilers. I know that nobody thought that would happen. We're reading The Secret of the Caves, which is the seventh book in the series. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Taylor, what'd you think of this book? This, uh, you know, and I, ha- I was telling you before we started rolling, I haven't read the Hardy Boys in, God, forever. Years and years and years. So my assumption of what to expect was was quickly dashed and thrown out the window because part it was, it was both everything I hoped for and more. Um, and also, you know, you, it, it kind of shows its wear and tear here and there. The, the thing I loved about it is if you take it earnestly and just kind of read the dialogue as written, but, you know, maybe with a drier or more modern take, it kind of comes across like a, like a Coen Brothers farce. Like, there's so much of it that just reads in a way that I'm like, I would love to hear John Malkovich read this line. Or I'd right. love to hear Tilda Swinton read this line. Even you know? the way the boys talk and the, anything that their friends suggest, the boys feel the need to shoot it down. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, say yeah. that it's probably not a good idea or it's probably not the right answer. And I always, when I read it, you put this, like, heavy layer of, like, of kidding, good-natured fun on it. But you're right. If you just read it straight, they're very dry, cynical boys yeah, who have no, yeah. t- no time for this nonsense. Exactly. Uh, and, and they're living in a world with adults that are, like, almost heightened caricatures. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, that was the thing. It's, it's, it, there was the movie. This is going to be a weird random reference. Remember sure. that movie from 1989, The Wizard, starring Fred Savage? Yeah. It's a giant Nintendo commercial as a movie. I oh, happen man. To, I happen to love that movie. Okay. But I bring that up because... It's been commented on by others besides me that the kids in that movie are basically the adults and the adults act like kids. And you rewatch it and you're like, all the dialogue, all the setups, it's all the the adults basically are just like these crazy individuals and the kids are actually holding all their shit together. So it's, uh, this has a little dimension of that, but just all the, all, every time they run into an adult, like what an adult would do in 2017 is not what they do in this book. Oh no. You know? So it's just funny to see. One of the best (laughs) examples of this is their ability to demand information from anyone (laughs) and people feel compelled to give it to them. They have such an air of authority. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that no one questions them when they ask for, like, documents. They'll be brought they... into, like, City Hall to look at, like, you know, tax returns and stuff. I don't un... remember exactly when it happens, but they show up at a crime scene at one point, and the, and they ask the police officers, what happened here? And the police officers aren't like, move along. No, they're like, well, there was a... Anyway. They're like, clear out, boys. The Hardy Boys are here to investigate the scene. They're like yep. Batman. They're like, give us, give us ten minutes with the give scene. Give us ten minutes with the suspect. <laughs> uh, that's more Fenton Hardy. I, I want to jump into the story. Let's do. It starts with Chet getting a metal detector because <laughs> a lot of these books start with Chet getting a new thing. Like he got a microscope. He became a vegetarian. Uh, it's a lot, a lot to do. Like a lot of, but he gets a metal detector. It really jumps in. We learn from the intro thing that this is this mystery is about something to do with honeycomb caves. Yeah. And a radar station and a missing person in the very first chapter, all this. And then they get called inside by Mr. Hardy. And he's like, I am hired as security for the radar tower. Very quick setup. Yeah. Yeah. They go back outside and this hot girl from college shows up. (laughs) The boys are clearly like boners stunned by her as she walks down the street. They tease her and she bursts in. They don't really tease her. She says, I'm here to speak to the detective. Clearly their dad. Joe makes her cry. Yeah, Joe makes her cry. (laughs) Not quite sure how that happened. She's already pretty high strung. Yeah. She asks for a detective. Yeah. Frank or Joe says, my brother and I are detectives. And she says, don't tease me and bursts into tears. (laughs) Yeah. And this girl's brother is a college professor she's a college freshman Mm -hmm. older girl yeah Mm. these boys are perpetually high school seniors and juniors i think but anyway 
Iola shows up and they convince her to let this missing professor's little sister stay at their house, which I was immediately like, oh, Chet. She didn't really, I mean, it was funny too, because she didn't really put up much of a, of a fight about it. She didn't seem to have any plans. She's like, whatever, I guess. I drove down, figured I'd just sleep in my car. <laughs> or maybe she took the train down. Wasn't she staying at like a hotel or something first? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, no, no. You got to come stay at our You can't stay house. at a hotel. Come stay at our farm. Our creepy farm that you've never been to before. Yeah, I kind of figured, though, when she says, okay, yeah, I'll come stay at your house, I figured Chet's going to be like, Biff, I'm sorry I can't come to Honeycomb Caves. Uh, it turns out metal detectors are dumb, and girls are cool. Oh, he's not going to let that metal detector go, though. At any, at no time is Chet like, uh... No, he is hooked on that metal detector for this book and this book alone. Yeah, exactly. Oh, they go to drive out to where the radar tower is with the dad, and mm-hmm. they take their own car. When they get to the radar station, they immediately see a spy. Yeah, like right away. <laughs> Like the spy was waiting for them to show up. Uh, Yeah, they don't have to wait at all. And then they, oh yeah, they're headed to college now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they said we're going to go up to Kenworthy College and a trailer gets unhitched. It's one of those things where the chapter ends with something dangerous happening, but Mm -hmm. they get out of the way right away at the beginning of the next chapter. Yeah, yeah, quite it's kind of like the Dukes of Hazzard where it's like, how are are these boys going to get out of it now? Oh, yeah. It's a crane, though, that falls off the back of this thing and swings around and scrapes a big scrape on the roof of their car. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about this for a second. So it... Again, I am new to the Hardy Boys verse. So the fact that something that harrowing happened right away, I was like, Jesus, they almost got, you know, a crane. Yeah, I wrote the F word. A, I... cra- a crane coming down and almost like crashing into your car. Very, like you said, very next chapter, like, well, let's dust themselves off. Oh, insurance will cover that. Onward and upward, boys. You know, just it had that sort of constantly they're in, in, in danger. Yeah, so much so that they must be so jaded. Yeah, well, yeah, and that, that comes true. There's, a, there's another moment soon that where that uh we'll talk about very apparent that they're jaded yeah very apparent (laughs) very apparent uh let's see here was it a case of sabotage what do you think we're looking for saboteurs you think something is a coincidence yeah that was a little fun uh then they're snobs they go look for a hotel room to stay at and they're like that place is too shabby that place is too shabby they sleep in ditches sometimes and like in their caves Yeah, inside of caves. Well, and I love it too because in the book they're like, and then they found one where the description made them like, well, it was something like the description made them want to stay there. And I was like, what was written on the board that was so enticing? A large billboard announced that the Palm Court Motel offered the traveler the latest luxuries. Yeah. Well, by golly, we should stay there. Whatever the latest luxuries happen to be in whatever decade (laughs) this happens to be. Exactly. And then they Wi-Fi. check him. I like this. This is. I think this is probably added because the boys didn't used to like the police in the original editions. Mm. They go immediately to check into the police station near this college. And the police give them all of the information about the missing person's case. Yeah, but the police, too, are kind of giving them a little shade. They're just like, you boys are going to figure this out. We tried. We did everything. We, you know, there's no... I think, confidentially, I think he was one of those overworked eggheads. You know, studying all the time. Too much strain. I wrote, case closed. <laughs> yeah, credits. Yeah. Like on Unsolved Mysteries, they're like, he was found in the desert with his hands tied behind the back and two bullet holes in the back of his head. Cops deemed it a suicide. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, open and shut case there. Yep. Yep. Then they go to the dean's office at the college. He meets with them for no reason. They've got no one's called ahead or anything. Yeah, that was the weird thing. Wasn't it like, oh, no, it was, we have confidential information to discuss. So the secretary just waves them right through. She's like, oh, it sounds serious. (laughs) I'm going to try that. Next time I want to talk to somebody important, I'm going to be like, I need to speak with a senator. 
and they will say, uh, the senator is not here. And I'll be like, it's confidential. Yeah. And then I'll try to walk past him into his office. <laughs> just be wearing, wear a crisp shirt and some yep. slacks. Yep. And uh, have a, just a, a disposition of a detective and you'll be good. So they meet Cadmus Quill. Which, if yep. there's ever a name <sighs> Jeez. That's, that suggests... You know, Tom, you know, double crossing or, you know, some kind of evil sinister element. Yeah. Cadmus Quill. The guy's name who's missing is named Morgan Todd. (laughs) Very normal name. Yeah. Yeah. Cadmus Quill. That's a bad guy name. That is a J.K. Rowling bad guy name. I wrote, it's the professor from Harry Potter. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, wasn't there a bad guy named like Quill or Quirrell or something? She she's so on the nose with her her names. There's yeah. no mis- it's it's a little of that. I love their their introduction to him it's like, like in a, a loud blazer. Yeah, and he's walking. They're like, who is that? You know, wise guy. <laughs> and they get there and they find out. Oh no, that's the guy we're looking for. Of course, he was. He had a bouncy gait and a loud sports jacket. Quill tells them that Morgan Todd just ran away to get married to a Russian bride. That he, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh. So both Cadmus Quill and the, mm-hmm. or Morgan Todd, the guy who's disappeared, they both studied in the same country mm-hmm. that is hostile to the interests of Americans. That's right. Morgan Todd met someone in this country while he was studying there. Mm-hmm. But then he says, Quill told him that Todd had confided in him that he was going to return to Europe to marry a girl he met while studying in the unfriendly country. Okay, so it's a European country. We know this. They could be Italian anarchists Ooh, for all we know. Yeah, they could. I always think, like, it's the 1920s. Anarchists were the thing people were really worried about. Well, they threw a French connection here at some point that oh, yeah, sort there's... of confused me a little bit, too, where I was like, what? Are they Belgians? <laughs> yeah. The Swiss. Um, it's he Swiss. lets them into his into Todd's room. It's another thing where they're like, we're here to investigate the mystery. And he's like, oh, well, I'll just let you into his quarters. And this is, and, and spoilers, spoilers, this, this is, you know, this guy ends up being kind of his, his namesake. Mm-hmm. You'd think at, later on we find out, you know, like a lot of ent- a lot of interests are trying to stop the Hardy Boys at all costs. You'd think that like right away they'd be like, yeah, you really, he didn't really want anybody in his room. Like he could have come up with any excuse. Yeah, he made me promise not to let anyone in there. Anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, he lets them in there and just hopes 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 they're bad detectives and they're pretty i mean they don't really find a lot yeah but they find the exact clue that okay morgan left for oh it, yeah the exact clue here's one thing they go back to the hotel and this is when it gets so weird i i <laughs> don't understand what happened here they get back and the guy they go to use the key to their hotel room and there's like an old couple in there yeah and they're like oh yeah. we have the wrong room and then they're like no wait this is definitely our room mm-hmm. they go to the front desk and he's like Oh, yeah. I moved all your stuff out. To a house, to a bungalow right over there. What hotel is this? And it's like and it's like two other boys came and said, you guys want to move? And I'm thinking, oh, so Bill and Chet have showed up. Yeah, Biff and Chet. Or Biff but and Chet, yeah, sorry. whatever. <laughs> yeah, that they showed up. But what doesn't make sense is that they showed up and said, our friends would like to move hotels. And, he, and this guy at the hotel was yeah. like, well, you know best, strangers. But anyway, they get back there. They're like, oh... You're in a cottage now. It costs two more dollars a night. And so they go over there immediately. Like, they're both really weirded out by this. Yeah. They see a a kid they don't recognize, a stocky youth, standing (laughs) inside. They, like, kick in the door and they go, what is the meaning of this? Yeah. I'm going to read this here. Yeah, do. do. The young man whirled around. Frank and Joe saw that he was wearing a black half mask. At the same time, the closet door burst open and out jumped four other masked youths. (laughs) Hey, what kind of a joke is this? Then they get bound and gagged, tied to boards, loaded into the trunk of a car, driven out into the woods, and laid across train tracks. Yes! 
Yes. No explanation. I am just I am just as confused. And then they vanish into the darkness and leave them on the train tracks. And at no time well let's let's break this down. So at no time did the hotel proprietor go, Let's see, there's four of you guys here and you look like you're ready for some kind of assault, uh <laughs> sexual or otherwise. Uh got domino masks. Yeah. And you want to uh, move the room of those other two boys? Sure, of course. Why not? The fact that the like the the Hardy boys didn't bother to ask him who was that came in to, to move us are they in there now yeah are they in there now like you know using their detective skills at, at, in any way they didn't even cross their minds they just charged right in what and then, is the meaning of this oh yeah and they're like you know not like hey you go in i'll stay back you know, in case something no they don't wrong. have any plan at all i thought it was going to be something harmless it was serious you thought that was going to be harmless <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was going to be like Biff and Chet showed up and they wanted more, you know. Oh, I see. And like prior, yeah, prior to them, prior getting, to be, them okay, yeah. getting jumped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but these, whoever kidnapped these boys, clear. Oh, it's, well, it's given away immediately when you flip the page yeah, because the yeah. title of the next chapter is A Hazing Trick. A Hazing Trick, yeah. And they just came from a college. Gee, I wonder Why what's are happen. hazing rituals so stupid? Like, this was a pretty sinister one, though. Right. For 1929. Like, this is the kind of hazing ritual. They're lying on the track. The train is coming. They expect they're going to die, and they're mm. going to get cut in half by this train. And then they it's on the track next to them. Mm-hmm. So that still could have probably cut their feet off, mm-hmm. depending on how they were lying on it. But it goes by them. They get loose. If they anybody but the Hardy Boys would have peed their pants. <laughs> yeah. But they get away. They have to, what, hike all the way back? Apparently, yeah. To the hotel. Oh, no, they flag down a trucker. That's right. Yeah. That's what it is. But yeah, it's the dumbest hazing ritual ever. What if like wolves? What if there were wolves out there? <laughs> the well, boys or, are tied to a board. Or deviants of some kind or yeah. you know, hobos with knives or, you know, who knows? Saboteurs? Mm-hmm. If, I have this I have this sort of vi- you know, image in my mind of, you know, Cadmus Quill had followed them back to the hotel and he was ready to do something until that happened. And he's like, oh, Jesus. Well, what I? is happening? <laughs> yeah. So they go back to the hotel. They bang on the door mm-hmm. and they find out that the... That the guy who – that it was a fraternity at Kenworthy College that did this to them. Mm-hmm. And the guy who runs hotels says, I thought these college kids were just going to have some fun with you. <laughs> Dude. So so he knew – he knew the nature of what was going to happen. I like what Frank says. The police might give it a different label. <laughs> Kidnap. Assault. Attempted murder. Jeez. Yank that guy's business license away. One-star Google Maps review. So they go to the fraternity right away. And I like that their plan is to beat up everyone in the fraternity, even though they just got jumped by these same group of kids. Yeah. Uh, they show up and some little kid at the door, some like freshman, is like, I can't go wake him up. He's the president of the fraternity. And they're like, you go wake him up right now. <laughs> and even though Frank and Joe are technically younger than this freshman at the college, they know he's like, okay. And he goes and gets him. And the guy... What is it? Jack Hale? Yeah. Is that the president of the fraternity? Yeah. I thought they would show up again at the end, but... No, no. And, J- and Jack Hale, let's let's be honest, like, weak sauce. You know, and then their exchange was just really disappointed. They're like... I know. Wait a minute, sir. You, like, what? It was very it was very gentlemanly, sort of like, what, what is the meaning of this, sir? And he's like, well, I, uh, you know, I thought it'd be fun. Who? What's the identity? I can't tell you. You have to tell us. I can't tell you. <laughs> I know. I, honor. I like this. But I do like how they open it. Isn't it kind of early? Jack Hale started to say. Not for a punch in the jaw, Joe declared hotly. <laughs> Stepped forward with a fist cocked. 
That's a crazy way to wake up. I love this, though, too. He walked over to Hale, who backed away nervously. I'll put it all on the line, Frank said. What's the idea of leaving us on the railroad track? And why did you switch our motel room? That's putting it all on the line. Yeah. That's, you know, he's going for it. Wait a minute, fellows. Hold it, Hale said. We thought you'd guess it was just a little pestering job. So I immediately knew that this was Quill that was like, tried to get these fraternities. Yeah, because they're like, somebody told us that you wanted to pledge at our fraternity. Yeah. I'm like, it's probably the one guy they spoke to there. It wasn't the dean. Uh, They go to search Todd's room again, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah, because Quill's asleep. He's still in the arms of Morpheus, Frank whispered. Yeah, that's a a turn of phrase I haven't heard before. You know, and by the way, let's just note the fact they haven't slept yet. No. They've been up all night after that harrowing escape they went to the you know fraternity at let's just say 5 a.m yeah and now they're just gonna go do the whole oh they yeah they're just gonna go do their whole investigating day not even try to sleep no, apparently not all right well they find the exam paper this is a basic clue even cops should have been able to solve this clue there's one exam paper that's left and the first letter of every question in the exam spells rockaway <laughs> and they're like there's got to be a hundred rockaways in america and they look it up, and there's three. And one happens to be just down the road. No, then they do go back to the hotel to go to sleep. Oh, they do. And this is when they wake up the next morning, and Joe or Frank is being like pinned right. to the bed with his arm behind his back, and he flings him off, and it's Biff. Yeah. And he's like, geez, Frank, I was just fooling. One, what kind of joke is that? You were pretending to smother me with a pillow you you know this is you can kind of get a sense for what time this is because i think at some point these the hardy boys just start you know packing heat with them wherever they went <laughs> yeah exactly. you know you can just imagine that scene playing out in like the 70s where it's just like <laughs> i'm gonna sneak up on him and try to, and trick him <laughs> bang, bang bang no chet god <laughs> oh, chet died man. that night chet died that it was a terrible accident but now okay this means that two more teenage boys showed up at the hotel went to the front desk and was like Hey, we need to go see Frank and Joe. And the guy at the front desk was like, sure, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be okay. What happened the night before? I just, I don't understand why he gave, he let them in. Again, man, these guys need to leave one-star Yelp reviews for this hotel. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, also don't understand how did Chet and Biff find where they were staying? Great question. They just, they just troll down the road until they saw their car. Oh, there's the Seagreen Chancellor. So they go back they go back to the college again. I don't remember. But at one point, oh, that's right. The college kids show back up at the hotel and they yeah. ask them to join the fraternity and ask <laughs> Biff and Chet to join the football team. And I'm like, no effing way. You got to you gotta think they had, a, they had a meeting after the Hardy Boys left. They're like, oh, Jesus. They're going to report us to the cops, boys. What, what are we going to do? We'll ask them to join the fraternity. And it's like they can't say no to that. And the football team's almost like the second thing. It's like, and you boys, why you'd make fine football stars. Like, really? Yeah, but I'm like, no, no effing way. Not only did you were you guys jerks and have dumb hazing rituals, but when we showed up, you totally wussed out and cowered away from us. Yeah. Like we don't have respect for you. Dude, we're gonna own your fraternity by the time this is over. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how much money we have? We have our own personal safe that we in our bedroom that we go get money out also, of. Also, our father's friends with a senator and he Oh yeah, our father's gonna, internationally famous. He's gonna crack down on this. Uh and then Chet wants to go see the college because he says, Let me go too. Maybe I won't see the inside of a college again. <laughs> what a sad thing to say, Chet. Chet's not poor. Well, and, and, no, because he afforded a freaking metal detector. Or dumb. <laughs> he, like, researched algology and vegetarianism and herbology in the previous books. Like, Is that just him going, I'm going to start a business while you boys are in college, so forget all that. Like, is he just thinking ahead? Is he, I, I have no idea, but is, I, is that Chet, made me really sad. Is Chet black? No. <laughs> I mean, no. I'm thinking about the times. I'm like, well, maybe. Maybe Chet's black. <laughs> 
No, they would have mentioned that, and they would have mentioned it several times. All right, well, they're uh, headed off to Rockaway Beach. They're yes. going to go see, and which startles Quill when they're like, we're headed to Rockaway Beach. Okay, I'm glad you brought that part up. That's That was my other real, I, I laughed out loud at that too, because Quill was like standing on the steps, and the boys are getting in the car. And I forget, was it was it Chet who yelled out, like, mm-hmm. we're going to Rockaway Beach? And Quill goes, <gasps> and he like, and they see him in the rearview mirror, Frank does. And he sees Quill, and Quill <laughs> and like, and then. slam on the brake. And they stand, and Frank jumps out, runs up to him, is like, wait, what did you just do just there? I, I, you just made a funny face. What does that mean? And it was just like, it was such a weird, like, I wish I could see that film because did he tell the boys like, stop immediately. He jumps out, runs up there. And then Quill's like, uh, no, I remembered I had a father there. Uh, sure. And then Frank's like, okay. And he gets back in the car and they drive off. It was such a, it was just such a weird like confrontation that I was just like, yeah. Like you have to think that as Frank was about halfway to him, he's like, this is dumb. What am I doing? <laughs> It's you just it's, made a strange face there and i love it i love it too he's like it's possible frank said well perhaps we'll see you again <laughs> i'm sure you will dad miss quill all right so let's check in with bingo what have we got so far the boys left bayport because they went to kenworthy college mm-hmm. um there we go no animals no disguises fenton hardy definitely a fist fight uh yeah sabotage yep we got sabotage on that thing the boys got tied up no explosions no pie no minorities Hi everyone, sorry for the interruption. One of my favorite things that I get to do is write for an all-ages show called Siren Song, A Pirate's Odyssey at Bunport Theatre for All Ages. Jess Robley, Mitch Slevic, Jack Wefso, and myself write a new episode every month telling the continuing adventures of a bumbling castaway, a mischievous god, and a pirate with a lot to prove. If you like all-ages theater, if you like pirates, if you like this show, please go online to bunport.com and make a donation. Just put Siren Song in the description. The new season of Siren Song premieres in October. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks, folks. Let's get back to the show. So now they've agreed, like, we said we'd go to Honeycomb Caves with you with a metal detector, but we yeah. couldn't because of our dad's mystery. But now we'll go with you because it's part of our mystery. And they're just about out there. And someone calls his... Where do they get the call from? Where do, oh, isn't it the uh, the general store? Because, yeah, their dad calls the general store. And they're like, wait, boys, you have a call here. Oh, yeah. And their dad's like, you have to come back to Bayport. Something crazy just happened. Yeah, yeah. And Chet's like, all set for the big adventure at Honeycomb Caves. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, we, we can't go. Screw these boys. Go without them. Stop expecting them to come with you. So, yeah, they drive their car. And they talk about how much they like their new car, but they don't name it. Uh, and then their dad's like, oh, sorry, boys. I won't need you after all. I just found what I was looking for. Bye. They what drove, was he What was he looking for? They drove. They said it was 50 miles to Rockaway Beach. They're driving 100 miles for no reason. But what was he, what was he looking for? He they... was using a magnifying glass when they show up to look at the girder, and he could see that it's been cut smooth and cut with an electric blade. But, like, he didn't need them to show up to find that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Well, and before they head off again, their mom is like, hey, Aunt Gertrude. Is, is it Gertrude? Who yeah, is it? Aunt, Aunt Gertrude. Aunt Gertrude's coming. She needs a sewing wheel so go get one i don't get this subplot at all <laughs> it was just so tacked on it's like on gertrude and i again i'm not as familiar with on gertrude on she... gertrude showed up in like the fourth book she shows up in pretty much everyone but she's like first she was just there visiting but she stayed for books and books and books does she ever like antagonize them or always okay. it's always her being because they don't want to have laura hardy 
yeah. be like, you boys shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Their mom. <laughs> yeah. So instead they have an aunt that's like, how could you let your boys do this? <laughs> the only person, the only adult with any reason or sensibility in this thing. But yeah, she heard their mom is like, hey, there's a, I just heard there's an antique store next to this restaurant. It's French. It's called the Palais Paris. And um, just go pick up a spinning wheel for your Aunt Gertrude. And they're like, okay. Uh, but before they're about to go, the phone rings and it's Chet Morton. And he's like, hey, Cadmus Quill just tried to run us off the <laughs> road. <laughs> Dead giveaway. <laughs> well, it's clearly because he thought that Frank and Joe were with them. Biff and Chet can't even get away from danger when they're not with Frank and Joe. Yeah. They're just collateral damage all the time. And Frank and Joe decide that maybe Cadmus Quill and Morgan Todd were brainwashed when they were in the Sinister Country. Because the Sinister mm. Country is known for its brainwashing abilities. <laughs> they go out to Rockaway and they go to this antique shop for the spinning wheel. The Parade Palais. Or Palais Paris. Palais Paris. Which, um, by, which, by the way, I was really hoping somebody in the vein of um, Grand Budapest Hotel himself, uh, uh, Ray finds his character, mm-hmm. was going to be like, because just the, Paris, the Palais Paris just had that sort of vibe. You know, I was yes. expecting them to exp- give the whole story about why it's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, not at all. That would be too much. But it's the way they describe it. Oh, I love it when they get there. It's a restaurant with an antique store attached. Yeah. And there's a sign. I'm, I'm going to read what the sign said. <laughs> The brothers got out and walked toward the entrance to the antique shop, located next to the restaurant in the same building. As they passed the open door, Frank noted the well-dressed patrons seated at the tables. There was also a sign tacked to a post beside the door. It read, Waitresses Wanted. I so wanted a Bosom Buddies. I wanted Frank and Joe to dress in drag and try to get jobs as waitresses to learn the... But it doesn't happen. Instead, they they do something else. No, stupid Joe. They're in this antique store that's really weird and doesn't have... It's clearly... There are stores like this in Denver that you yeah. go into and they sell like American... Like tiny American flags and like a pack... They have like one rack of granola bars <laughs> and like some burner phones. And you're like, this is a front. Yeah. Like yeah. this is not a real business. Yeah. And that's what this is. Yeah. So much so that Joe... It was a Joe who touches yes, he, the wheel that's hanging from the ceiling and it immediately collapses. Wheel. Immediately falls apart. And they're like, now you have to pay for it. And a, mus- a muscular man advances. And I if, advise you to give us the money and be on your way. And I don't they, know what accent that was. Well, and then his... Uh, he had, There's like a sinister French woman who's like the proprietor. Oh, right. She's like, you boys will have to pay. No, you do not get away so easily. I am the manageress here. Manageress. I love that. You will have to pay for this wheel. Why didn't I keep my hands off it? Joe groaned. How did Laura Hardy hear about this antique shop? That did is she a Google great it? I thought like did she Google it? She's like, oh, there's an antique shop right next to there. She was having coffee with the ladies and they're like, you know, I just passed this wonderful antique store the other day. You should go. Out in the middle of nowhere in Rockaway, which is hardly a speck on the map. That is maybe Laura's got a side hustle going on that we don't know about, you know? Maybe I don't know. I always think that there's something I have this theory that on the back end, Fenton is actually an international criminal <laughs> running a massive international crime syndicate because there's lots of weird moments where like he knows too much. He's at the weird places at the wrong time. Like, he's like the Moriarty. Of this yeah, whole exactly. Thing. <laughs> he's running. He's both the he's both the good guy. Only and the in, only in the last book. He's like every time it was me every time. And you just never knew. And like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have to fight their father in the final the final mystery. Oh, my God. I'd love that. <laughs> That's the that's the great mystery. That's the Hardy Boys mystery. <laughs> and we find out that that Laura is really the mastermind, which is why she's been so unconcerned with their safety because she's like, oh, she's Doctor <laughs> Girlfriend. She's running the show. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, this is when the new the storekeeper. You're new in these parts, aren't you? We're from Bayport. 
And then when they walk out, he's like, Kaka was really nosy. <laughs> Just hassled us. We'd like to explore the caves. Explore them, lads. You're crazy. Yeah, this whole town is like, every time Don't they talk about the caves. Don't go down to the caves. Yeah, it's, it, it, and no one will tell them why. They're like, why? If you would just say, like, <laughs> we think there's criminals down. No, then they definitely go. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But every time, at least the boys are like, well, why aren't you telling us? Because that was, <laughs> yeah. at least they're doing that. Because, like, you know, based on previous interactions, they would could just. Can't like, you at least tell us the reason? Joe rested his <laughs> elbows on the counter. Well, some mighty queer things have been happening down there lately. That's all that need be said. It's like, no. Peculiar lights and shooting. Maybe call the police. Like, if you hear gunfire outside your store down by the beach, call the cops. They can go down there. Form a posse. Clear out the bad guys. Form a posse. They meet Mr. John Donaghy, who lives down by the water, I guess. Fisherman. He's a fisherman, and his wife is a fisherman and kind of a badass. Yeah, she is. They decide that there are ghosts down by the caves so they don't go down there everyone sees light and thinks ghosts in these books well and right away like my scooby scooby radar or scooby right. scent started really. scratching I'm like well that's clearly the guy who's gonna pull off the mask at the end like you yeah know, anytime like there people try to dissuade you from doing something which is why it was weird cadmus clay was like yeah come on in whatever you want yeah or or that he okay. didn't like try to talk them to go out of going to Rockaway yeah. or any yeah. of that stuff so you take it like if somebody in this in the Hardy Boys verse is trying to dissuade you from doing something, chances are it's probably dangerous. There's probably not a sinister motive going on. Or there's something really cool there and you should go check it out anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're because they're hiking out to the caves now and they get yeah. caught in this storm. Yeah, and Joe almost dies. <laughs> Joe almost dies. One, and it was like, where did Joe disappear to? And I just wrote one, two, <laughs> three. And then it was like, oh, and they find Joe right away. He's hanging from like a root just dangling over a cliff they do an amazing aerialist kind of they lower frank over the edge he gets both hands on and then they're just over it joe's like whatever Up, yeah upwards and onwards again dumb joe though i throw joe needs to stop doing dumb stuff i stopped to tie my bootlace when i looked up again i couldn't see you at all so i began to run I didn't realize I was so near the edge of the cliff. Why would sprinting, like, oh, just start running? And then, uh, yeah, the ground fell away, and he fell into the air. But, of course, he was just fine. They do find a cave, realize they don't have any firewood, immediately find a bunch of firewood. So that's handy. Not your firewood. Yeah, that was a little con too convenient for my, my taste. It's all dry, nice dry driftwood. But even if it was like somebody else's firewood, they shouldn't just like use up somebody else's firewood. I mean, wouldn't that make you think, hey, somebody's probably coming back. We should hide out and yeah. observe and like wait and watch and, you know. Nope. They cook a dinner. They, <laughs> they whip out the frying pan. They have... Uh, the smell of sizzling bacon permeated their refuse. This the, book, these books do, do they always describe food. food so wonderfully? Every, almost every meal is thoroughly described. Um, <laughs> it's like Hank the Cowdog. It was interesting when thing. we did Nancy Drew because they didn't describe any food. She ate a meal at one point that was called plain but appetizing. But every outfit she wore, every article of clothing that Nancy Drew wore was described in, in like, vivid detail. It was a nice little touch. They're like, what do boys like? Uh, food and uh, frightening things. So, <laughs> oh, okay. We'll describe all those in detail and who cares about what people What little like. boys did they talk to? <laughs> you know. But now it gets serious. Yeah. They wake up in the middle of the night because somebody's sneaking around them. Yep. They follow the person back into the back of the cave, which I would just wait yeah. until like morning. But they follow them back into the cave and they find cave after cave. And Biff, I don't know if Biff's just embarrassed or what, but like first his flashlight goes out 
and they're like, oh, here, take one of ours. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I said, no, but no big deal. And then uh, he drops his flashlight, which I don't know why they did both of those things, but he drops it and he doesn't tell anyone that he dropped it. And he gets separated from Chet and Frank and Joe. And it's he's lost in the dark and falls into just darkness. <laughs> into nothing. In the cave. And, we're, and, and, you know, right after Joe fell off the cliff, we're led to believe that, well, maybe Biff has just died. I don't know. Yeah, I know. You, you know. With a cry of terror, <laughs> Biff hurtled down into the blackness. For a moment, the other three boys froze in their tracks. They, then they shouted for Biff time and time again, but there was no answer. Like, and then they decide, okay, okay, we're going to go get all the firewood and we're going to bring it back here. We're going to make a massive bonfire and that way we'll have enough light to see him. And I'm like, this is panic thinking right now. Guys, like, <laughs> you're not like... Well, I like the very end of that chapter too. It's, it's a wonder we weren't all killed, Chet said. We were prowling around this chamber without any idea of the real danger. Methodically, the boys resumed their search, investigating each opening, deep or shallow. But in spite of the extra light and all their shouting, their efforts were in vain. <laughs> I'm afraid it's no use, Chet said, gulping. It's as if Biff were swallowed up. It's like, Chet's just ready to, this is like his best friend. He's just ready we're to like, not, no, no we're, Chet, we're not just giving up. It's, it's been like 30 minutes. Too late. He's gone. <laughs> uh, but when they go back to the woodpile, all their stuff has been stolen. Yeah. So that uh, I was like, Gollum? Yeah. Prowler, I bet. <laughs> yeah, but let's real quick. They, is, I, I misunderstood what they wanted to do. Did they want to light like a gigantic bonfire to just fill all the caves with light? Like what were they? What was yeah, the that was the, the plan. They were going to build a giant fire with all the firewood, a roaring bonfire. So the caves would be so full of light that they and could smoke. find Biff. And smoke. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to check in with Bingo again. Uh, no gunfights. No actual injuries. People have been fine. A lot of close calls, though. A lot of close calls. Any attempted murders? Oh, a ghost, in in uh, quotes. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, attempted murders. Cadmus Quill tried to drive them off the road. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Okay, I think we're good. The interview in this episode went a little long, so I decided to release it in two parts. Keep checking back. The second half of my interview with Taylor Trask will be out soon. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the bar segment. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the bar segment. I am incredibly excited about this particular edition of the Hardy Boys Drink Book bar segment because I'm here with one of my favorite bartenders, one of my favorite people, the person who taught me how to bartend, Faye Dirksen, my sister. Hey, everybody. Okay, I am so excited to have Faye here. Faye, why did you start bartending? I think it was kind of a happy accident. I like I worked in retail, which was awful, and hospitality and events, and events kind of morphed into bartending and restaurant work and continued into more bartending. Faye and I have worked in some pretty ridiculous bars. When I have highlighted a lot of really classy bars and some cool dives and neighborhood bars, but nothing like the Midwestern... College bar. Right. Um, like the, your Shadron, Nebraska bar. Your, let's say, you know, Laramie, Wyoming bar. And we definitely served our time. We did. We did. We had we had good times and crazy times and weird times. But yeah, it was fun. What's your favorite thing about bartending? My favorite thing about bartending is all of the crazy characters you get to meet. And I think that you can have a really good time bartending if you just know the people that you're catering to. That's true. I, my favorite thing about having a bar and having locals was when someone that you didn't know would walk into the bar and everyone would 
would like turn at the same time and be like, who's that? What are they doing? Which is very Hardy Boys. The idea that like a person you haven't seen before is a threat. Right. And the, and the Western music plays and the barn door, you know, the door swings open. So what bar? You're working at a very weird bar right now. Um, I haven't been had a chance to go. My sister lives in Austin. She bartends there. And I've had hilarious descriptions of this bar. It seems like it's a bar for dogs. Yeah, well, bar, dogs and people. It's called the Yard Bar. And so it's an off-leash dog park and bar. And we've also got um, a patio where you can have food, not where the dogs are. The dogs have to be leashed on the patio. Great drinks and fun people. And you can bring your dog and they can run around and play with other dogs and you can drink booze. So there are bakeries in Denver that make dog treats, like gluten-free dog treats for dogs or like, yeah, special dog treats. Do you guys make, like, do you guys have cocktails for dogs that dogs especially <laughs> like? You put it in a bowl, the dog drinks half of it, splashes the other half out because, you know. That's what dogs do? No, we don't have dog cocktails, although quite often dogs get on the tables and drink the people drinks. Um, but we have doggy sliders and doggy ice cream. Okay. Yeah. Doggy ice cream. Yeah. Do the do the dogs know that like it's special? I well, I it's got. Big There's so many other dogs, right? I, I mean, if you mean if it's getting ice cream, yeah. I mean, I don't know how a dog's taste buds work. Like, do they like what are their glucosamine receptors like? Do they know the sweets and salts and stuff? I think any animal knows when they're getting uh, yogurt and peanut butter and bacon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially if they're kosher, right. they know. <laughs> They know. You have to know. Okay. So you have made a really delicious fall cocktail because summer's coming to an end. It's this perfect. It's sort of light. It's incredibly boozy. So Faye is doing about an ounce and a half of pumpkin cordial. We're using the pumpkin king, which is local to Boulder, Colorado. Vapor distillery. I know nothing about them. And then we've got equal parts to the pumpkin king. We've got another ounce and a half of prairie vodka. Just a clean, crisp vodka and some classic Kahlua. Another ounce and a half of that. And a little bit of orange zest. You could probably throw an orange slice in it too and have it be pretty delicious. Top it with some club soda. I like that though this drink is mostly made up of liquor, um, it doesn't have like a really bad bite to it. It's good for the fall. I think it's going to be like, it would be a good dessert drink. I think it's going to pair up nice with like rich foods because it's got some good like back of the top of the mouth aroma. Yeah, it's got an aromatic uh, nature to it. Yeah, it's herbaceous a little bit. I have been learning so many cocktail terms and ways to talk about drinks. I really like the way that the orange and the coffee pair together. I like the pumpkin, which we were both worried was going to be way too pumpkin-y. It's not this pumpkin cordial is like this soft little fall hint to it. The vodka is a good base. It's really clean. I like the club soda because it is so boozy. That that little splash of like bubble to it lightens it up. But it's great. Yeah, really. It's really easy to drink. It doesn't have, it's not a heavy drink. If you wanted to, if you didn't want it to be so boozy, you could add more soda or club soda and it would still, I think, have a good rich flavor and just be a little lighter yet even. So I would probably garnish this with an orange peel if we had an orange peel available. We do not. But yeah, thank you so much for making this drink. Thank you for coming here to see me. It's so wonderful to have you in my kitchen. If anybody's in Austin, Texas, go to the yard bar and bring a bunch of dogs there. Do it. They have to be fixed. And so that's important. And just, yeah, come and see us and we'll all have a good time and play with dogs. So get your dogs fixed, uh, like Bob Barker would say, and go to the yard bar and uh, keep solving mysteries, everybody. Thank you so much. 
Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is a part of their network. It is produced by Jack and Charles Webster, with music by Danny Overby and Round 2 Productions. Special thanks to Taylor Trask and to my sister for making our delicious cocktail. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments, or drunken fan theories, you can contact us on Facebook or at thehardyboysdrinkbook.com. Remember to tune in next time for The Hardy Boys Drink Book, number eight, The Mystery of Cabin Island, featuring R. Allen Brooks. <laughs>